and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is someone you ought to know, Sean. I don't know. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we watched an episode of the first Canadian, then Nickelodeon kids sketch show that ran from the late 70s to the early 90s. You can't do that on television. More specifically, we watched an episode entitled Pop Music. It was the second episode of Season 7, and it originally aired August 12th, 1986. I gotta tell you, Scott, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode of Hitting Play, <laughs> just because I have so many fond memories of this show. Yeah, I mean, as early as I can remember, I was watching this show on Nickelodeon. Uh, just uh, one of the earliest shows I think I remember watching on that channel. Back yeah. when Nickelodeon didn't really have much other than Mr. Wizard and then some black and white shows like Dennis the Menace and Lassie. This was a, a show that I always loved. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm a few years older than you are, and this has a special place in my heart. You can't do that on television just because I think it is probably the oldest or probably one of the oldest, like yourself, shows I remember watching in, in general mm -hmm. as a kid. I remember my, and like you said about Nickelodeon, that is so true. Back in the day, and this is probably late 80s, even into the early 90s, I remember summer vacations being home from school and watching TV all day, because that's what <laughs> I used to do. Mm -hmm. And Nickelodeon was basically from 7 a.m. until like a noontime, it was Pinwheel. I don't know if you remember that oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it was. It was oh, before 7, like 6, 5, it was, you know... David the Gnome, or Mr. Wizard, <laughs> yep. or Lassie, or Dennis the Menace, or some other show that they had, you know, syndicated on there. And then it was Pinwheel from 7 to, you know, 11.30, noontime. And then that's when, like, Nickelodeon, I'm doing air quotes now, started. <laughs> and you had shows like, you know, you can't do that on television, and the early stuff that they, um, you know, always shows that they were doing at that time but specifically you can't do that on television i remember seeing the show at my great-grandfather's house believe it or not and this has to be 1983-84 mm -hmm. so i was probably you know six seven somewhere around there and my grand my great-grandfather had uh cable and that was kind of a rarity yeah back then i mean it was around but it was more expensive and it was still not really rolled out as much as it is now of course and I used to watch a show. And even back then when I was six or seven, I recall myself feeling that it was kind of taboo, I guess you could say, <laughs> or something I shouldn't be watching. I think my mom maybe had a reaction a couple times when I was watching it. Like, oh, you know, because it does have the, the toilet humor and things like that. Sure, sure. Tame compared to today's standards. But and I think that I kind of got that vibe off her and thought it was like, oh, this is like you know, forbidden or something. But yeah, that's that's my history of it. So it's probably one of my first experiences, honestly, with, with TV and the first show I really remember watching and understanding, besides that freaky uh, Doctor Who of the 80s, yeah. which I, I freaked me out on PBS. <laughs> the doctor with the, uh, the fro and the scarf, I forget who it is. But yeah, so again, I was very excited when we came up with this idea to do an episode, and especially this episode, which I found, it's really a kind of a, doesn't seem like a, a Hallmark episode in any way, but kind of is. And we'll, we'll talk about that sure. in, as we go through. You know, originally this was a Canadian production solely. Uh, it made yeah. its debut on February 3rd, 1979 on Ottawa's CJOH-TV. 
It was created by Roger Price, who was a, a veteran of uh, British television. Uh, he created The Tomorrow People, and he even created a kid's sketch show very similar to this called You Must Be Joking. And actually, it's it's interesting. February 3rd, 79, it's almost a year. I was almost a year old when it first came out. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Definitely an interesting show that he came up with. I actually watched part of the, the first pilot episode which is on YouTube. All these episodes are on YouTube, mm-hmm. by the way. That's where we're watching this from. And it's it's very interesting. It was definitely a different format than this episode in 86 that we're watching, if you can't do that on television, yeah. the, the Canadian version. You know, I didn't watch the entire thing. It had some of the same ideas, but it was a lot of call-in segments and, you know, interviews with real kids at, on location at places and just the kids talking a little bit. So it wasn't so much of the skits and things. It was actually interesting um, when this show first started in Canada. Two of the cast members, Christine McLaid, who played Christine, of course, in the show, and was the hostess, I guess you can say, for a number of years until 86. Yeah, a long time. And then Les Lyle, who was um, played many parts in, um, in most of the male parts, I guess you can say, the adult males, was Les. And he um, was on for the entire run of the show from 79 to 90. So that's when they started. An interesting thing about this show also, as it went on, became more well-known, I guess you can say. It became, uh, you know, came on Nickelodeon and got the national recognition in the United States. International recognition, I guess you can say. There was so much turnover, a lot of cast members in the show. Yeah. Throughout the, the run. Just because, it, you know, kids would grow up or get bigger and, you know, they couldn't be on the show anymore. <laughs> it was really interesting reading some of the history of You Can't Do That on Television. And, you know, the fact that did you read about Christine McGlade by any chance? About her history? No, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Well, she was interesting because she went with a friend to the first audition that they had for the cast in 79. And she had no interest at all in doing any kind of um, show business at all. Mm-hmm. She just went to support her friend. And basically, Roger Price was there at the audition to audition her friend. And she just wanted to sit in the corner and, you know, watch the audition and basically, Roger Price's um, response was, you know, you have to audition or you have to leave. Because he's not, you know, he wasn't fooling around with it. Yeah. So she auditioned so she could stay. And they picked her instead of her friend to be on the first cast of the show. <laughs> um, and like I said, she continued. It's actually interesting. This episode is pop music. And I think three or four episodes after this was Christine's last episode in the show. It was just called Garbage. It was about, you know, the theme was Garbage. Yeah, she had so, a long run. She, In fact, by the time this episode aired, she was already like 22, 23 years old. Yeah, she started off when it was 15. She was 15 years old when the first episode and the first season started. And she went until she was 23. Wow. And actually turned it into, she's still in Canadian broadcasting in a way. I think she has some kind of media job or something. I looked up her um, Wikipedia site. But she was on there for a long time and was the only, well, wasn't the only hostess. There was another hostess with her for a time. I forget her name. She was not in this episode we were watching, but they were kind of co-hostists. And they were the older type kids. Oh, was that Lisa? Um, Lisa, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, Lisa. Motormouth was her name. And <laughs> Christine's nickname was Moose. Moose, yeah. During the run. And as a childhood nickname she had. And they were co-hostesses for a while. But at, around this time, 85, 86, because she was, you know, 23... And all the other cast members were in their, you know, mid-teens at this point, 16, 15, 14. She was kind of the head person on the show and would be the one that would kind of give advice and that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that she had such a huge run on the show. 
Yeah, that YouTube video where they show the pilot, uh, it has a little intro by Roger Price, and it's funny to see that currently, or at least when that video came out, I mean, he was living in the hillsides of France. He did not have cable television, any television, uh, just a, a monitor connected to a DVD player, and then he ended up getting the internet at one point, and then after he got that, he realized how much people loved You Can't Do That on Television. He didn't really get the full sense of how much people loved it and wanted to see more of it and uh, and missed it. Yeah, a lot of kids in our generation, you know, it, it was something they grew up on, of course, and it was before the, it made the, paved the way for the other Nick shows that came after it. Oh, yeah, especially all it, that coming on, I think, a year maybe after this left the airwaves. Yeah, and just, you know, all the um, Hey Dudes and the uh, Salute Your Shorts and all the the, the episodes that Nick produced, or the t- uh, series, excuse me, that Nick produced after this were based because of the success of You Can't Do That on Television. Yeah. You know, basically, it was the number one Nick show until Double Dare came out, which is around this time when this episode took place in 86. So this episode, eight, 1986 for this show, is kind of the, the end of the golden age for um, You Can't Do That on Television because there was a lot of turnover when Christine left. Shortly after this, this is where things kind of started. I don't like to say going downhill, but, you know, it was a big transition time for the show. Mm-hmm. And it only lasted another, you know, four seasons after this, which I guess is like a significant amount of time for a TV show. But <laughs> it, is. it lasted another four seasons and it never had the same impact, I think, that the first, the early 80s gave it with the hosts and the, and the cast members I had back then. So yeah. that's why this, this episode we're going to be talking about tonight is so unique because it is, again, like the end of an era with the kids on it. And these are probably the kids I remember the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many that kind of rotated through, but this group, I, I definitely recall seeing them quite often, especially Christine. I mean, I probably had a crush on Christine when I was seven because <laughs> she was on every episode. I mean, she was there. Yeah, It's just amazing that a show like this can can go for so long with really only two adult cast members for most of the run and the rest of the cast members are just kids you know less and there was also of course i forget her name right abby now. hagyard yes abby abby and less were the only two adults and played most of the adult parts christine played a few of the adult parts through the run mm-hmm. kid all of them were um all the other stars were kids which again it was interesting reading about uh roger and how he and when the show was in uh, Ottawa, how he casted for this show. One of the things he said, and this is more towards, you know, 79 when it first came out and they were, you know, getting it together. He basically said that he casted these kids on their location. Um, <laughs> he wanted kids that he didn't have to worry about traveling. He wanted them so they could get to the studio with no issues. Oh, wow. And were lived relatively close to the studio. And I think that was pretty much reoccurring going into the, you know, even after the Nick Nickelodeon years, um, he still wanted... He didn't want to have to deal with kids. And it really shows that these kids are not professional actors, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them. And just by their reactions and they, some of them just can't act. So he was really looking out for keeping a show alive and didn't need to grab the highest star power at the time that you could find in, you know, Eastern Canada, I guess. Yeah. But it was a novel idea. I mean, just having a sketch show almost completely run by kids. Yeah. Uh, it just, that's why that. That British version was called You Must Be Joking because that was the reaction that Roger Price got when he first proposed the idea in, in England. You know, must be joking, you know, having a, a sketch show run completely by children. But he, you know, for his, to his credit, he made it work. But like you said, that original, that original season of the show, 
I mean, it was an hour long, it was very low budget, and it had music videos cut in, disco dancers, contests, sketches, kid on the street interviews. I mean, there were, like you said, there was so much going on. It was all over the place. Yeah. Really yeah. more of a variety show than anything else. And uh, But the thing was, which was pretty funny, and one of the reasons you, you won't see a show like this today, is it was designed to be a kid's show with no educational value whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And that was part of its success. Oh, yeah. This this was not like a like a Sesame Street or even Electric Company, I think, of that show. That yeah, was yeah. PBS for a long time in the 80s. Th- this was total, again, tamed down 80s bathroom humor. <laughs> and it was just made to be just funny. Funny for kids. And, I mean, there were a couple of subjects. There's one episode in particular. I don't know if you read about this. I think it took place in 87. It's been only shown once. In the United States, at least. I think Canada has um, rerun it a number of times. It was under about adoption. Yes, yeah. And it was just so... the content. I mean, I think one of the sketches was about the dad not understanding about adoption and thinking that he could just get a kid to work for free <laughs> and then be able to send them back once he, he was done, like almost like an endangered servant or a slave or something. Oh, yeah, it had the so, line, adoption isn't permanent, which they were very upset about. Yeah, yeah. So that that was one, and it seems like a weird topic. Like, why would that be banned or not shown again? Because there was other, you know, there was a number of drug episodes or you know anti drug episodes. I guess, guess you could say mm-hmm. as early as the early eighties. That's something to note too as we go through this. That every episode, pretty much, you know, except for the very early ones, like you mentioned, had a theme of the episode. This one again is pop music. So all the sketches had the theme of pop music, uh, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had one on divorce that, you know, it was a pretty timely thing in the mid-80s. All sketches were on divorce, and I don't remember seeing that one. But they they covered some interesting topics um, and and made fun of them. But adult topics. Adult topics, yeah. uh, Gender equality was a big one. Yep. Uh, Yeah, they had a a lot of topics like that. Not necessarily taboo, but stuff you would never see handled in a kid's show. No, no, and you wouldn't see that today either. No, um, in, in this the way it was presented in this show, again, it would have to be you would have so many people complaining and up in arms about the lack of educational value in it and yada yada yada. But I think that really helped. You can't do that on television. Get by, especially in a national market, was the fact that it was on a, a fledgling uh, network, Nickelodeon, that you know wasn't really available to the entire population like it is now. Yeah. And you find me one person who, you know, has cable that doesn't have Nickelodeon. It doesn't exist. Everybody can get Nickelodeon on their cable or gets it by default. So, sure. again, back in the early 80s, it wasn't so easy and it wasn't as prevalent. So I think that's how they kind of got away with it. I'm sure if it was on PBS or something or, or one of the major networks, it would have uh, had issues, but they snuck it through. <laughs> Now, this first season that they had uh, was very, very successful, that whole variety show format. But as you can imagine, a show like that was very unique, especially just for that small area, you know, around Ottawa. And so it was, you know, huge. So Canadian National Television, actually the channel uh, CTV, greenlit a, a, a completely new series based on it to be shown nationally across Canada. And that was called Whatever Turns You On. And that was in 1979. Yes. Yeah. And in this version, they really cut out mostly everything except for the sketches. They really wanted to focus on that. And Ruth Buzzy joined the cast. Yeah. Which was very La- funny. A laughing veteran. Yeah. Very interesting, yeah. There's a lot of laughing influence, as we'll get to. 
And uh, that aired Tuesday nights at 7. So that was kind of uh, not so great for a kid's show. And ratings were really bad. And after 13 episodes, they ended up cutting it. But in January 1981, they said, okay, well, this was successful in its original form, so let's keep it going. So they resumed production on You Can't Do That on Television. That's another thing you don't normally see nowadays. Yeah, yep. And 81 is when Nickelodeon kind of got interest in it and, you know, started broadcasting it also. Yeah, and on Nickelodeon, it was a huge success to the point where Nickelodeon said, hey, you know, we're showing this down here. It's big. Let's co-produce it. And so Nickelodeon and CJOH actually became partners in co-producing mm-hmm. this show all the way until the last episode, May 25th, 1990. Interesting, too, that this wasn't when it was on just Canadian television. It was an hour long show. Yeah. You know, Nickelodeon with their partnership, they cut it down to 30 minutes and took out all the, you know, call-in stuff and all the, you know, man in the street stuff and just made it pure comedy. So it really trimmed it down quite a bit and it worked. I yeah. mean, they probably thought that and probably figured correctly that kids wouldn't want to maybe want to stand bored for more than a half an hour or so. Yeah. Give them that and it, it, it was good. All right, so let's get right into this episode. This was, as you mentioned, the episode entitled Pop Music. Every week they took on a new subject and all of the sketches were kind of centered around that and so uh we open with a title card for a show entitled bruce springsteen gets laryngitis and uh, we then get the announcement bruce springsteen gets laryngitis will not be seen at this time in order that we may bring you the following off-key program and some of the title cards i mean this is kind of a this is a tame one compared to some of the ones i've seen (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> I, read, I remember one I read about today. I think I remember seeing this one about, you know, 101 Dalmatians get run over by 101 <laughs> delivery trucks will not be seen. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you can't do that on television. They were right. No. No, all right. Now, this fades into a reoccurring sketch where a kid is held prisoner in a dungeon. Uh, it's so funny going back and watching this. I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came right up as soon as I saw this. So we see a young man, this is Alistair, with his arms chained above him as the evil European official with an eye patch who always tortures him. This is uh, Nasty, N-A-S-T-I, played by Les Lye, of course. Yeah. Uh, he comes over, and he tells him that, as a surprise, he's letting him have some music. And he hired a musician all the way from Great Britain, abandoned Great Britain, to play for him. And Alistair guesses, oh, is it Mick Jagger or Sting or Paul McCartney? But no, it's a bagpipe player named Angus <laughs> who walks over and begins to play very loudly. It was, I think he said it was a, a member of a British, a Great Britain rock band, or Great Britain group, right? Yeah. So what he, I said that's how I guess those other, of course, it dates itself by saying, you know, Sting, Paul McCartney. So yeah. you kind of definitely see it's the 80s. Yeah, a young teen, um, very enthusiastic about Paul McCartney. And again, this was a, a sketch that was done pretty much every episode, or most episodes. It was different kids sometimes. And it's always this kind of, oh, he's trapped in a dungeon, and, you know, something's good about to happen to the kid. You know, it turns out to be a, a total opposite. Yeah. You know, a Torture. Thing. A torture, yeah. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, this is Alistair Gillis. Yeah. Um, and he was a, a long-term cast member, too. He, he was on there for a number of years. And actually, around this time, was co-hosting. He kind of took the... Christine role mm-hmm. also, so him and her were kind of co-hosting and together. So he he left shortly after this also. He didn't last past the '86 season either in the show. So that was another blow to the series, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a big part of it and a very big part of this episode, as we'll see. 
There, there isn't too many uh, kids, I think. I think there's only, what, five or six in this episode? Yeah, yeah. There's Something only, like that. It's not definitely... You see some background kids, but we'll go through them as we see them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not the entire cast of the 86. There's, there's tons of kids. I saw a picture online of the 86 cast, like everyone in a cast picture. Mm-hmm. There's like 30 kids there. Oh, I yeah. Mean, but I often play this, you know, one episode or background stuff or something. Yeah. I like in this, this sketch how the skeleton starts uh, bebopping <laughs> around when the... the, the <laughs> The skeleton actually has a name, too. I forget what. They mentioned it later on in the uh, episode. Oh, yeah. I have it in my notes later on. But Humphrey, yeah. I think. Was it Humphrey? Uh, Hodgson. Hodgson, yeah, yeah. Hodgson was the name of the skeleton. <laughs> kind of cracked me up. Starts dancing. Yeah. So funny. And, of course, Alistair hates the music, and he begins to scream. And this smash cuts to the mom character. This is played by Abby Haggard. And uh, she's also screaming while standing on top of a chair in the middle of her kitchen. And next we get a boy named Adam who walks in to ask why she's screaming. And still in a panic, she's telling him that she's screaming because of the Beatles. And so Adam tries to calm her down, saying, Oh, I know they're a good rock band, but they're not even playing right now. And she clarifies that she's screaming about the Beatles on the floor. And we cut to a shot of the kitchen floor. There's four fake cockroaches next to one of the uh, the chair legs there. Climbing up, yeah. And then Adam also reacts in horror and joins her on the chair to freak out. And uh, Adam Reed, the second cast member we see, who is, I think, he lasted until like the 87 series. And he got just too old, basically. And he doesn't seem like it in this uh, this sketch here because he's looks like a younger kid. Yeah. But he was getting too old. But I think he, he also kind of remained with the show as like a, a production person. A well, he was a co-writer person. of the show. Yeah, for a while it was after this, yeah. Yeah. Co-writer, and he definitely worked with the show after this. Yeah, talented after kid. he became, you know, not a main cast member anymore. Yeah, and he's still working today, uh, acting, voice acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, you could definitely say this was something he wanted to pursue, and he was good at it. But very fake-looking cockroaches. Yeah, and just to freak out on the chairs is funny. <laughs> and there's a lot of jokes like this where it's a misunderstanding about, you know, a word. <laughs> yes. So centered around one word or phrase. Again, it's the whole pop music theme. Yes. You know, that pop music, the Beatles. Yes. So from here, we cut to the show's animated opening sequence, very influenced by the work of Terry Gilliam from yep. Monty Python's Flying very. Circus. I oh, mean, my goodness. It, it, it might as well just be called Monty, Monty Python's <laughs> Flying Circus. <laughs> it's, it's definitely influenced by it. Yeah, it, it starts with a giant... I'm going to try to describe this uh, for those that haven't seen it, but it starts with a giant meat grinder on top of a building rising above a very cartoony horizon with clouds. And on the building, we see the sign Children's Television Sausage Factory. And the music is kind of like, um, it starts out as like a kind of like a Russian dance that. Yeah. And so it turns into a Dixieland rendition of the William Tell Overture. Yeah, yep. And that's that's the theme song, kind of like how Monty Python's Flying Circus used the uh, the Sousa Liberty Bell March. Yes. You know, so it's a kind of a, uh, you know, an instrumental upbeat theme. And so zooming into the factory, we see all kinds of pipes and machines over a conveyor belt where parts of children begin to fall and get pressed, you know, and it's <laughs> kind of partially assembling the kids. Heads and legs and arms, <laughs> Yeah. They fall off the edge of the conveyor, and we cut to the exterior of the building, where the kids drip out of a faucet and into a school bus. Yes. The school bus drives off and drops the kids off at the Children's Television Network, where the doorman is rushed, 
and cutting inside, we see the large face of Les Lai rise into frame, where a hand holding a rubber stamp hits his face, leaving the words, you can't do that on television, right across his face. Yep. And as the music ends, this final frame of the animation cracks from the edges inward and splits in half, revealing behind it the next sketch. The initial version of this with Les, you know, when he gets his face stamps, I, I read that in 79, they had a version where he actually belched as they did this. <laughs> they took that out. Why not, reason. eh? So our next sketch is a, a reoccurring one, you know, just a, a very famous sketch. Oh, it yeah. is the firing squad sketch. Yes, Mexican I, prison. I'm assuming it's Mexican some prison. Some sort of Latin American country. They're, yes. you know, they're vague on that. But you, again, you can't do that on television. So here's a kid. This is Alistair once again. He's about to be executed by a firing squad. And uh, this is led by Les Lye playing some sort of captain, never give you the country, but he does speak somewhat mixture of Spanish and English. He's named El Capitano. Yeah. El Capitano counts to three, Alistair braces, but nothing happens. So he tries again, again, nothing happens. And Alistair points out that the men aren't listening because they all have Walkmans on. And El Capitano steps out in front of Alistair and, you know, yells at them, you know, take those off. How are you going to hear me say fire? And of course, the, the amigos are who's <laughs> yeah, the, amigos. the firing squad. The amigos. And of course, hearing him say fire, they all shoot, killing El Capitano dead. And as he falls to the ground, Alistair says, "You know, I guess they heard you that time. I know I did." It's a. Uh, this is a again the reoccurring theme of this sketch is that El Capitano <laughs> gets killed because he does something stupid and steps in front of the, the firing squad and tells them to fire. He's either tricked by the kid or he just does it. In this case, with his own stupidity. And the kid usually, as a few instances where the kid gets shot too. <laughs> oh but, um, yeah, it's true. But I don't really show it too much. But, um, <laughs> no, no, there's never any blood or anything. It's just no, kind of no. reacting like, oh. And, uh, yeah, that happens, um, you know, a few times. Most of the time, they trick him into getting in front of the fire, in front of the person to be executed and, and yelling fire. <laughs> like the amigos are too stupid to, you know, not shoot the, anybody who's standing right there. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the British model of sketch shows where you get the same sketch, the same premise, the same outcome, and the sketch is kind of unique in how they get to that outcome. Yes. Like, you know how it's going to end. We know every time El Capitano is going to accidentally say fire, you know, with the rare exception of a, a couple where, you know, something else happens. But basically, that's what's going to happen almost every time. Yes. You know, it's just... It's so how how do the, you get from point A to point B, basically? Yeah, exactly. And the same thing with the dungeon sketches. You know, uh, some ray of hope is going to be given to the poor kid and only to be taken away from him in, in some way. So you're just kind of waiting to see how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so next, we immediately cut to a school bus driver jamming away to the beat of some sort of mechanical failure on the bus. It's making some terrible noise and he's like, oh, tapping away. And the kids behind him are very, very concerned. They ask if something's wrong, but he continues to dance, saying, Oh, it's great! You know, just ignoring all of their warnings. Just then, there's a pretty big explosion, and the entire bus is cracked in half from front to back. Yeah. The kids on the right side are desperately trying to grab the kids on the left side. and To pull the bus back together. (laughs) (laughs) And... Here we see some other additional cast members. We see the the main three ones that were in this episode were Stephanie Chow, it's a little um, the Asian young lady, mm-hmm. uh, Alistair again, and Adam. Are yes. the, the ones basically just you can see some other kids on again the other side of the bus. So they try to pull back. 
Um, that was a. I, I remember seeing like a. It was a pretty well done sketch. I yeah. Mean, the bus cracking apart and moving. You know, it was. I was. I couldn't believe that it was so uh, um, well done and well. You know, the, the effects were pretty good on that one. Yeah, I was. I was. I was impressed. I, I didn't. Well, it shows you what you know Nickelodeon's dollars brought to the show. Yeah, they could do that. Yeah. But that was very funny. So you know they're they're desperately trying to hold the bus together, or at least rescue the kids from the the other side of the bus. And you know the the bus driver's like, "Oh, what a finale! This bus can really cook." Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. So from here we cut to the main stage of "You Can't Do That on Television," where Alistair is practicing lines. Uh, now, just to describe the stage for those who haven't seen it, it's sort of a a geodesic dome made of white metal bars in front of a light blue background with kind of like stars on it. And yeah. the there's staging on the floor. It's kind of like a burnt orange color. And very it, 1970s, 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very, uh, yeah, very, very much an 80s looking set and color scheme. And so, yeah, this is, this is our main stage. So Alistair continues to read from these papers and Christine walks over. Of course, this is Christine McGlade. Alistair asks if uh, Christine will inform the viewers that today's episode is about pop music. And she tells him that she would, but he has her script. So walking over to grab the papers, Christine ends up stepping on his foot, causing him to scream. So Adam walks over, hearing this noise, and tells him that, you know, with a scream like that, you could become a famous rock singer. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, they keep on proving it to him by stepping on his foot repeatedly, or his feet, <laughs> and having him scream. Over and over again. Over and over, yeah. And then R Ross, who's the stage manager, of course, again, played by Les Lai, he comes over to see what the commotion's all about. They stomp on his foot, and Ross is actually pretty impressed. So then he joins in, and he stomps on Alistair's foot. <laughs> yeah. And they keep on jump. I mean, doing jumps on his foot. It was really fun and funny. Yeah. And just cracking up. Christine's cracking up. That's, you know, he's screaming, and it sounds good, and... I gotta tell you one thing about this this first uh, sketch and all these these uh, on stage sketches, I guess you can say, where they cut away to the stage. Uh -huh. If you want to Google teenage fashion nineteen eighty six, this should be the picture that pops up because this <laughs> is. I remember this too as you know a young kid. What these kids were wearing is what kids looked like in nineteen. I mean, this is eighties fashion at its highest here. Polo shirts or the you know even the haircuts and. You know, Christine wearing the, the shirt with the belt, and oh, it's like, wow, it brings you back, you know? Yep. The perm kind of hair, it's it's very funny. Oh, yes. We next open on a scene at a church with uh, two choir boys. This is Alistair and Adam. They're about to sing a hymn, and they are kneeling to start, but they're instructed to rise. Adam does, but Alistair can't, because he evidently is kneeling on Adam's bubble gum that he temporarily stuck to the floor. So... <laughs> Alistair quickly stands, ripping off his vestments, leaving him only there in his boxer shorts. And uh, poor Alistair is frantically attempting to cover his shame with his book of hymns. And that's that's it for the sketch. That that that's it. That yeah. is the end of it. And again, this is something uh, for for different reasons uh, would would not be on television today. No, no. I like the socks in that episode where he had those <laughs> A's athletic socks. <laughs> So from here, we next open on a scene in a classroom where Les Lai is playing another reoccurring character. This is a very uptight school teacher yeah. that kind of resembles Adolf Hitler. <laughs> a bit. I mean, you know, there's only so many ways you can go with his outfit of his <laughs> character, but 
He does have a small mustache and a yes. comb over, so. Yes, and, well, and you know what his name is? No. It's spelt S-C-H-I-D-T-L-E-R. Mr. Schindler. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Again, probably another reason why he does have the, the mustache, you know. Yeah. Again, you can't do that on television. You can't do that on television, yeah. <laughs> and the kids are all throwing paper at them, and, and this is the same kind of recurring sketch where... Uh, if I remember correctly, you know, he, he brings up something to them. Like in this case, he says, you know, who wants to join the chorus? The principal's looking for chorus members and all the kids kind of like, oh, yeah, right. We're not going to join the chorus. <laughs> and then, you know, there's a complete turnaround when he mentions that they'll have, you know, go on trips to other schools and they'll have half day Fridays and no homework. And then they all start singing uh, Frosty uh, the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman because they want to yeah. be in the choir at the Gal School. And it's very much, again, this sketch and all the sketches. You know what's going to happen at the end. It's going to turn around, but it's how you get there is, is what's important. Yeah. Now, from here, we cut to the next sketch. This is where Alistair is standing barefoot on a piano stool. And he's getting rock and roll lessons from a, a very straight-laced, kind of vaguely European music teacher. Played, once again, by Abby Haggard. And she finds it strange that he would need voice lessons for rock music because, in her opinion, they can't sing at all. Yep. And she's willing to teach him, though, because she's being well-paid. And this is kind of a reoccurring thing throughout this episode where it's like, oh, you could be a rock musician. They don't know how to sing. They don't know how to do anything. They just scream. Yeah, and as we get to the, the end of this episode, we'll see how that culminates and how it, how it, you know, ends up at the very end. Oh, yeah, there's an arc here. Yeah, it's definitely an arc, yep. But a ton of sketches, as I'm going through this, I'm like, wow, this is another sketch, another sketch. I, I didn't count them in total, but there's a there's a lot. Yes, yeah, this is pretty amazing. <laughs> this one's pretty funny. So, she starts by asking him to sing in D-bash minor. And Alistair's confused, he has no idea what that means. The teacher plays a note on the piano with her right hand, and then with her left, she smashes his bare foot with a <laughs> hammer, making him scream out of pain. And so she gives him another note, smashing his foot again. And he bashed Major, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the sketch. So we cut here to the next sketch. Now, this next one, I believe this is school detention. Detention, yeah. This is detention. Again, another reoccurring sketch. Yeah, and Alistair and Adam are at their desks. Les Lye is playing some sort of school official, I think, of the principal? Yes. A man in a suit, they're, anyway. They're in, de they're in detention. And again, this is a little bit different from his Hitler character, or his teacher character. Different mustache, you know, different type suit, different type of personality. But basically, they find a way to, he asks, Adam asks if he wants to listen to his Walkman. And he says, well, it has a lot of rock and roll music on it. He's like, no, 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 it's not rock and roll music. And he puts the Walkman on. He says, okay, I'll listen to it. <laughs> While he's in detention. And he puts it on. He goes immediately stiff at attention. <laughs> yeah, arms by his side. Arms, out, arms by his side. And Alistair says, you know, thinks that he electrocuted them. Or what would you do to this guy? And he's like, oh, it's just the um, national anthem. He's so patriotic. That's the national anthem on a loop. And he'll keep on standing that way until um, the batteries run out. <laughs> that attention. They wave their hands in front of his face, and he's just standing there. He's not moving at all. Very funny. I think they take his wallet, too, don't yeah, they? As yeah, they that was, I was surprised by that. You'd think it was just kids trying to sneak their way out of detention. But no, they're going to steal his wallet, and the flower stuck to his lapel for some reason. Yeah, yeah, they just take everything and say, okay, see you later, and they, they leave, and he's still staying near at attention as they walk out of the tension. Yeah, you can't do that on television. Can't do it on television. So from from this scene, we next cut to a dinner scene with Alistair along with Les Lye and Abby Haggard playing their mom and dad characters. 
I think this family, if I remember correctly, is called the the Preverts. Is that correct? Oh, they might be. Yeah, I know. I know the mom character is Valerie, and I forget yeah. what the father's name is. Yeah, he's a he's a senator, I think, or something. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it was like an intentional thing. They made him a senator because he looks like a. I mean, you look at in the sketch, he looks like a hobo. Oh, he's like an alcoholic. He's you like know, an alcoholic words, hobo. And he's words are like, slurred. It's like you know, unshaven, like like three days worth of growth on his beard and his chin, and he has like this disgusting tie on. And <laughs> I, I think that that was the backstory of this character. It kind of like make fun of the Canadian parliament and everything. He was like a, I think it was Prevert was their last name, kind of wow. like pervert. Yeah. Well, yeah. Obviously, but uh, Prevert, uh, P R E V E R T, and Prever probably. Prever, yeah, probably Prever, <laughs> yeah. It's just very funny that they would, you know, and they, they go into this sketch and this this sketch where he's talking about, you know, how they met basically and how his the father sang at her window and she dumped paint on him. Yeah, he, well, he Alistair's in love. He wants advice, yes. and they're talking about how they met. Yeah, but that's was, how that's the, yeah, that's what the beginning of it is. Yes. Yeah, so she just dumped paint on his head when he serenaded under her under her window. But those are favorite colors. That was okay. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just crack, it cracks me up because this is probably my favorite of Les's characters. This is, you know, drunken and he shows up a number of times in the episode and he's just like this, this buffoon. And it's like, how do they, what, how, how does this work? And you know, the mother Valerie with the, the uh, cleaning gloves on all the time when she's eating, she has those yellow gloves on and it's just, uh, it's very funny. Supposedly her hands were too delicate and slender to, to be, you know, like a, a housewife's hands, and that's why they put the gloves on them. Yeah. There's a lot of characters that are gloved. Like, even the bus driver from the previous sketch uh, had, like, workman's gloves on. Yeah, that's they true. They weren't even driving gloves. They were kind of like, you know, gardener's gloves. Yeah. It's very funny. I think they kind of do it to mix up the characters, and so, because they start playing so many characters. I mean, especially Les is like, I don't know how he did it, all over the place. Yeah, he just was everybody. Yes. So, this sketch finishes with Alistair hearing this story and just saying, you know, you're crazy, you know that. And the mom character replies, and you're our son. Yeah, that's funny. So, from here we cut back to the You Can't Do That on Television stage, where Adam, Christine, Stephanie, and Alanis are talking. And just then, uh, Alistair stumbles over. He's wearing a lime green shirt, shades, and giant white cowboy boots. They compliment his new rock star style, but Alistair is really saying, you know, I'm, I'm really having a lot of foot pain. And Stephanie tells him that, hey, all of the girls will go for you. And Alanda says, I have to admit, you don't look bad at all. Yeah, and starts kind of hitting on him. Yeah. And we should really, at this point, mention that yes. one, one of the reasons we picked this episode, too, is that this is, this Alanis is Alanis Morissette, who is by far the most famous person that came out of You Can't Do That on Television. Yes. And she was, this is the first episode, actually, this is the first sketch she was in, in, in the show. And she was on the show for five episodes, I think 91 that we're in through 100 or somewhere like that. Yeah. You know, in that range. And yeah, she she took off. And the, you know the backstory about Lance Morissette in the show? No. She was actually rumored to be a replacement, a possible replacement for Christine. Oh, They're really? They're rooming her to be a replacement for Christine. That's where Alanis came in. Huh. And unfortunately for them, she hit superstardom the next year or so, 87, 88, and, you know, just took off from there. And now, you know, who doesn't know Alanis Morissette? 
from the mid nineties up, up until now. But yeah, that was their, their plan was to, you know, they knew Christine was leaving the show and they needed somebody to take over as that host hostess job. And they were saying that getting of giving Atlantis the, uh, the nod, but things didn't work out that way. That's funny. Yeah. And to, to think she was only 10 years away from Jagged Little Pill, which really yeah. was her breakthrough. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she started taking off, I think, like I read, reading a biography about her, or, you know, Wikipedia entry, I guess you could say, you know, around 80, late 80s. So it this got in the way of her superstardom at this point. But very different looking. I mean, it's not the Atlantis more set that we're used to seeing. No, she's no. A younger. I think she's around 15 at this point, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Short Somewhere hair. In there. Short hair, Lance Morissette, yep. But yeah, she's in a number of episodes, and there's another unique part of this episode we'll get to in a, a few sketches down the road here. Yeah. But very funny how Alistair, it, throughout this entire episode, is kind of smitten with her. And, and she's, you know, as as you can see in this sketch, just kind of like, ooh, giving them the, the look <laughs> and the little, the little touch on the shoulder. You look pretty good, sort of thing. It is very goofy 80s attire. Yeah, very, I mean, God, come on. The cowboy boots and the... Uh, the shades. It's almost embarrassing. You know, it is embarrassing, but this is kind of what you thought of. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't too far from the truth. No. You thought of 80s rock or pop stars. So Alistair now getting complimented. He's like, oh, now I feel like walking on air. So he jumps in the air to click his heels and falls down in excruciating foot pain. Alistair next tells Christine that he does have a song... And it's about the oceans and rivers of love. And he says, but he has to make sure that the songwriter doesn't mention the word water, or he'll, and of course, before he can even continue, water is poured on his head from above because he said the word water, which of course is a hallmark of the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> that and something else we'll talk about in a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that, definitely. But yeah, the water thing, because I'm like, why is he, the oceans and rivers of love, what in the world is that? And of course, it was just a way of getting into him saying the word water. So that was pretty yes. funny. Knowing what would happen if he said water and, and being tricking himself into it anyway. <laughs> and I like Christine next calls him a dunderhead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a word we, we hear. He got, he got his clothes all wet is what she said. He got his, he got his uh, outfit all wet. <laughs> Yeah, and it makes his boots painfully shrink even more. So from here, we cut to uh, a next sketch. This is inside of a camp cabin where Adam and Alistair are interrupted from... I, I, what are they doing here, Sean? They're, they're pouring a substance from a bucket onto the bed or something? I'm guessing they're doing some kind of prank. I, I, that's the only thing I could think of, like a camp prank or something in somebody's bed. Kind of like short sheeting, but with pouring something in the bed. That's like assume. I, I thought it was going to pay off later in the sketch. It doesn't at all. No, no. So they're probably like, just do something, make, you know, make it look like you're up to no good. Yeah. Sit so, down real quick on the bed after they do it, you know. Yeah. So Les Lai comes in, of course, as the camp counselor, and he's upset with them for removing his window screens so the mosquitoes would bite him all night. <laughs> and so their punishment will be sitting outside all night singing campfire songs. And he takes out a guitar and begins to play, and they reluctantly sing along. Yep. And that's the sketch. That's the sketch. <laughs> it didn't take much. But to their credit, they had, like, you know, so many sketches that they could get away with a couple of yeah. duds. Yeah, I mean, there's it's so many in this episode. Again, we don't have a proper count, but I mean, it was kind of interesting. <laughs> so from here, we cut to a living room where Alanis, wearing very, very 80s clothes and a bright orange wig, complains to her mom about not getting to go to the Cindy Lauper concert. Well, it has the 80s, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So she tells her that, you know, she doesn't like her going to hear these rock singers because they're bad influences, they dress funny, they make strange noises, and they act weird all the time. So, of course, just then, the father enters the room dressed in the official garb of his club, the Loyal Order of the Wildebeest, I believe yes, it is. Yes, Wildebeest. Mr. Privé comes in and, you know, <laughs> has the hat on and the weird feathered stuff and the weird, you know, it's hard to tell it from his normal attire. I mean, it kind of looks like what he wears normally. Yeah, right. But like yeah, a big goes, poncho with scraps and feathers hanging off of it. He goes off to his meeting through the, the front door. Yes. And, you know, Lannis kind of gives her mom a look and says, you know, Come on. She goes, all right, go ahead. <laughs> she just sits there, the mother, sad-faced, which is kind yep. of a weird end to the sketch. They kind of zoom in on her sad face. <laughs> <laughs> with, her, with her knitting in front of her. <laughs> so we next get a scene of the kids talking in front of brightly colored lockers that have the words, you can't do that on television painted on them. It's a very iconic part of the, the series is these lockers, but it doesn't come into play. I think they were just using them as a locker room setting here. Yes, yeah, they they had the lockers and they couldn't repaint them, you know, they were part of the permanent sketch uh, set, so <laughs> yeah. put a bench in there, it's a locker room. <laughs> so Alistair tells Adam that he was excited to hear that the school started a new group where the kids would wear wild costumes and perform wild dance steps, adding that he should have known it was ballet. My wife was watching this with me as we were watching this episode together yesterday, and she she actually cracked up on this sketch when they go to the ballet dresses, uh, ballet outfits, and start jumping around. Why are you doing ballet? Jumping around? It's so stupid. The coach comes in and he's blowing a whistle, and he's saying, "Hey, oh, it's time for Act One, Scene One of Swan Lake." And you know he's trying to get them to move around, like you know, "Come on, let's go!" And they're yeah, like you said, prancing around, jumping in the air. Not really any ballet moves. <laughs> yeah. And they exit the locker room, and that's the end of that sketch. Yep, on to the next one. <laughs> so we cut back to the main stage, and here Alistair is telling Christine that he no longer wants to be a rock star. He doesn't mind the sore feet, but he doesn't want fame, fortune, and girls throwing themselves at him, and he'd rather do something meaningful with his life, like finding a cure for belly button lint. Yep. So Christine says, well, either you've completely lost your grip, or, and they begin to say this in unison, this is just the introduction to the opposite sketches. Which is a, a reoccurring every episode thing. Yeah. Where the screen flips upside down. And again, all these next sketches, next three sketches, are just the opposite of what would really happen. Yeah, it's like a block of sketches. Yeah, it was it was three in this case. Yep. Yeah. So here in our first one, we see Alistair is sitting in an alleyway on a stool, playing an acoustic guitar, and there's just a pile of cash next to him. In the guitar case, yeah. Yeah. So Adam happens to walk by, and he notices all of the money Alistair has made playing, and, you know, he's like, oh yeah, it's about $587,535 or so. He said he feels bad for the competition, uh, because Huey Lewis is playing at the subway station, Paul yep. McCartney is playing at the park, and Brian Adams and Tina Turner are teaming up at the next block. So yep. Adam asks, well, can I help you carry the money? Alistair says, nah, I don't even want it. You can keep it, but Adam refuses. So they both end up walking away <laughs> walking and <away>. there. <laughs> Hence it being the opposite sketch. Yes, yes. So that was that. So we get our next opposite sketch. We cut to a library where a librarian is bopping along to loud music as she's looking through catalog cards in a rotary file. Uh, Alistair, the student or, you know, kid, walks over to complain, but she tells him he's not speaking loud enough. And she tells him that if he doesn't speak up, she's going to ask him to leave. And so he tells her, well, you know, it's a library, not a zoo. 
She replies, well, that's what you think. <laughs> and we next hear, we next hear the sound of an elephant or someone trying to make the sound of an elephant. <laughs> I didn't screen. catch that. Wow. Yeah. It's like somebody, you know, that, <laughs> that type of sound. <laughs> it's like really cheesy. It's probably less in the back, you know. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was. And she yells off screen, you know, hey, can you crank it up a little louder, Jumbo? <laughs> and so Alistair jams pencils in his ears. The librarian continues to dance. And we cut to our next sketch. Which is uh, the sketch of Alistair and Adam in tuxedos and a, with a cello and a violin. Yes. Going door to door to try to get scholar or get funded or get sponsored. Sponsored. Yeah, yeah. Sponsored for a, uh, what was it? What, a career a in classical music. Yeah, yeah. And they go up to Mrs. Per, uh, Prevert. <laughs> who enters the door and she looks like she's going to be receptive at first but what does she say yeah she's like you know you guys have some nerve making me listen to the music of those drug addicts bach beethoven and mozart <laughs> yes. she slams the door on them and the funny part of this now is that the opposite sketch ends right there like not even after this like in the middle of it yeah and like adam looks at his watch says, oh it's uh opposite sketch is over yeah, the screen flips. Oh, because what happens is they, they turn away, they walk away uh, from the steps. Adam remarks how classical music stinks, and Alistair reminds him that, you know, hey, we're in the middle of an opposite sketch. And then that's when the screen flips around, and he's like, not anymore, long live rock and roll. <laughs> Starts playing the violin like a guitar, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they pick up their instruments, like guitars, jam out to, uh, I think they sing a little Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I couldn't catch it. One thing to note about if you watch this on YouTube, again, the, most of the episodes are on there. And around this time, uh, you could tell they're taped right off of VHS copies. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And they're, they're old VHS copies, and they're starting to get a little degraded. So there was some sound. I missed some. I'd rewind it a few times just to try to see if I can, you know, see what they were saying. But that sounds like kind of going off. Yeah. And the, you can see the screen kind of fuzzing at the top. So they're not DVD quality by any means. So now with the opposite sketches over, we next cut to our next sketch in Alistair's bedroom, where he is tied to his bed with large ropes. And his mother tells him that the piano teacher is waiting for him downstairs, but he explains that since he is tied to the bed, he cannot get up. And since he cannot get up, he cannot take piano lessons. And his mom says, okay, I'll, I'll go downstairs and tell her. And as she leaves, Alistair says, hey, can you help me get untied? And she refuses. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of that sketch. That's the sketch, yep. He asks if Adam can come and untie him. He's, oh, no, that's, you got to stay like this. Yeah. Nice picture of Goofy above his bed. I don't know if he knows that. No, I didn't <laughs> see that. Strange picture of Goofy, yeah. That's funny. So from there, we cut to the You Can't Do That on Television title card and a commercial break. So this show goes into a commercial break, so why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back. Got milk? Got eggs? Got bread? Oh, can I have some French toast, please? And we're back! Okay, so when we return, the title card of Les Lies Face cracks in half, and we open on Alanis eating dinner with her mom and dad, and Alistair is joining them. Now, it's a little confusing since a few sketches ago, we saw the same two characters in the same dining room as Alistair's mom and dad, but this is just how it works on the show. Les Lies dad character, Abby's mom character, they are everybody's mom and dad. Yeah, there's no consistency. I mean, it, yeah. Depending on the, what the situation is, it could be up and down. And 
and left and right. And in this case, you know, uh, they're the parents of Alanis. Yeah. Who has Alistair, looks like a very straight-laced young man, <laughs> over for dinner. This is probably my favorite sketch of this episode. This one just cracked me up when I was watching it. This is pretty funny. Yeah. You know, they want to meet Alanis's new boyfriend. And Alistair even says, yeah, you want to check out your daughter's boyfriend. And uh, Alanis had told them that Alistair sings in church. So they're like, oh, you know, they want to hear more about it. They ask if he sings in a choir. And he says, no. They ask if he's a soloist. And he says, yeah, he is in a sense. And he goes on to explain that he sings in the church hall with his punk rock group, the Bloody Togas. <laughs> Bloody Togas, great. <laughs> so he next puts on a red wool hat. He jumps out of his seat. And he rips the tablecloth off of the table, sending the dishes, you know, crashing to the floor. And he begins to scream sing about killing and mutilating. <laughs> Again, you can't do this on television. No. No. How could they do it in 1986? I don't know. Oh, they certainly wouldn't do it now. But yeah, it just... Starts jumping on the table, almost knocks the table over. <laughs> so as he goes on in this frenzy, Alana says to her parents, Hey, don't look at me. All I said was that he sings in church. And that was that sketch. <laughs> that was it. Cuts the sketch near horrified looking. <laughs> so cutting back to the main stage, Adam is getting Alistair prepped for his new life as a rock star. Alanis is sad that he's leaving because she thought there was a chance they'd hit it off together. But now he's going to be away on tour most of the year. Yep. So Alistair suggests that they form a band so that they can all tour together. So, you know, we get one of these cheesy things. Well, you know, think of a name. Stephanie says, beats me. And beats Alistair... Me. Yeah, I don't like the sound of that. Adam says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and Alistair's... It's you too know, intellectual. Yeah, I don't like that name, it's too intellectual. So, uh, he asks Alanis, and she says, I don't know. And she gets green slime dumped on her head from above. And this is the only time in the five episodes that she was in that she was green slimed. <laughs> During the entire the entire thing, she was only green slimed once, and this is it. It's It's so funny, I was reading about the green slime you know, in, in general and how they made it. And basically, did you read the history about it? I did. All? That's, and is that real? Cause that is crazy. If that's true. It is. If it's true and it sounds like it's true, it is super crazy. So basically what we're alluding to is that in the first episode, or I don't know if it was the first, the pilot or a couple episodes in, yeah, they came up with this idea of having, you know, dumping something on something, somebody's head. So, and this is without Roger Price's knowledge, really. He kind of knew it was going to happen. But he didn't expect it to be like this. So, what I mean, this is sounds horrible. Just what they were playing initially. They were planning on taking the lunch leftover pail, okay, of food discards, and dumping that on somebody's head. <laughs> and a, a sketch similar to this, you know, when they first were planning it. But they noticed when they were ready to do it that it started getting moldy and green. So they just went and did it anyway. Yeah. So you have basically, you know, rancid food leftovers being dumped on somebody's head for the first, um, <laughs> you know, for the first time they did it. And they called it the slime or that's why it was called the green at that point or green gunk or whatever they called it. And, you know, Roger Price was appalled and furious, but he, he saw what kind of reaction it got. And that's where it, it kind of kicked off from here. Of course, future iterations of this was not leftover garbage. It was um, basically like, what did they say? It was oatmeal mixed with food coloring yeah. and water. And actually, one one of the, re there's a bunch of, on the line, you can find a bunch of different recipes for it. But 
one of the ingredients was, I think I added later, was uh, baby shampoo. Just so they could easily wash it out of their hair after they were done. That was just, it wasn't anything to do with the consistency of it or the creation of it necessarily. It was just a convenience for the actors that they could easily wash it out. Oh, interesting. Well, more easily wash it out than before. Yeah. So they had that little baby shampoo in. And you can touch some telltales if someone's about to get slimed. You kind of saw it in this scene because the actors, like Linus, kind of looked up a little bit before it came down. <laughs> and so did um, Alistair when he was got slimed. He looked definitely up and put his face right to the sky just so they can get that effect of being totally covered with it. Yeah, yeah. So they, they knew it was coming. And I guess there were some scenes where if you saw somebody barefoot right before the I don't know happens, that was a good indication that they were about to get slimed because... They won't make them wear shoes. Oh, you know? okay. And, you know, there was also, you didn't see this, but you heard it, I guess. So in some uh, instances, you can hear like a splatting sound when it hits the ground because there's a tarp underneath them. They put tarps down before they did it. Oh, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so they wouldn't ruin the set or anything. Um, so you kind of hear that bouncing off a tarp sound effect in some of the cases of being slime. So just very interesting stuff on on the websites about it. And the fact that the actor, actress who was slimed was paid a little more <laughs> that week. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's how it should be. But it's just, it's interesting, you know, because this, from that moment where somebody said, hey, well, let's just, you know, this garbage is rancid, but let's dump it on this kid anyway. From that one snap decision, it comes this iconic thing. I mean, this is the most remembered aspect of the show. And... When Nickelodeon acquired the show, I mean, the sliming became so popular, it became a major part of Nickelodeon's identity as a network. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a, It's so amazing. And, we, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Sean, that when Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida opened, there was a green slime fountain in the front because it was just so iconic. Yep. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was incorporated into a lot of the other shows. It was incorporated into, you know, advertising and they actually had, you know, uh, merchandise like shampoo and stuff about the, uh, about mm-hmm. the green slime. And it became almost like the, the mascot of, of Nickelodeon. Yeah. Just I mean, the, the, the Kids' Choice Awards, slimed. I think they still do it there. Oh, they did it at one point. I know they slime people and this and that. And, and it's kind of sad if you think about it, because if they keep on doing it, of course, I haven't watched Nickelodeon. I don't know how long because it's it's totally changed since we were kids and i know they still have the nick choice awards and a lot of stuff but if they still reference it you gotta think that these kids don't know where it originated yeah you know we of course know where it originated those you know they can't do that on television but these kids don't don't have any any idea they probably just think it was always just a nickelodeon thing and you know there's no background information it's really sad i I wish that nickelodeon would at least because they at this point i don't think show any of the reruns at all no you can't do that on television they it did ha- briefly on uh teen nick yeah it's, uh you know so, so once in a while it does surface on one of their like digital cable stations but it's been a long time i know they have had a thing in, in the early 2000s again i haven't watched it in years but it was like a nick pick or you pick sort of thing where you could kind of pick an episode of something to watch uh-huh. during a, a certain you know time of year or something someone picked an episode if you can't do it on television and they, they showed part of it Oh, really? And that was like the last, I think it was 2004 or something like that. That huh. was the last um, time they showed it. But I mean, yeah, shame on them. They should be bringing this back. And I'm sure they own the rights at this point to it. Or or maybe, you know, reboot it <laughs> or something. You know, it's such a cool show. But anyway, that's going well, off into what we think of it. But 
But like you were saying, though, I mean, there's there's so many topics that maybe they can't approach nowadays. Yeah. So there, there's probably a lot of episodes. I mean, even that adoption episode, reading about that, uh, the the tape was labeled "Do Not Air." Yeah. You know, so <laughs> they they wouldn't accidentally you know air it by you know on on regular television again. So I mean, even back then, there were some episodes that they were like, eh, "Let's stay away from this." Like nowadays, I mean. Alistair singing about killing and mutilating people. Oh uh, man! You so have you could see so many why parents groups. Yeah, exactly. And it would be even more so nowadays, and you know, rightfully so. You know, because there's certain things that mean have different meaning nowadays. You know, it's uh, certain topics are a little more complicated nowadays. So yeah. you could understand why they may not want to have, you know, Alistair in church with his robes being ripped off. You know, so oh yeah, yeah. there's things like that. So I can understand. But yeah, it's there's a, such a rich history. There's a book I believe called Slimed that gets into it. Uh, I, w- I definitely want to read that now after doing the research. Yeah, but... I, I know there was. I will definitely read that too. Yeah, and so um... you know, this is why we're doing this podcast and talking about this stuff because it, it's it, it kind of gets forgotten when you think of Nickelodeon. You think of that big bright orange logo and somebody getting slimed, and you know, it really came from this small low budget show from Canada that they said, "Hey, w- can we air this and co-produce it with you?" Yeah, that's where the whole thing started. Again, I don't want to go off into a rant about Nickelodeon, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, almost forty now. But um, it, it is kind of really sad that the direction it's gone. I guess you can say. I, I guess it's just growth. It's kind of like the whole direction MTV has gone. Yeah, I, I really equate it to those. Those are all in the same to me, basically. MTV and Nickelodeon, and MTV. I mean, for our generation, was so cool. I mean, it just was. The actual music videos and the VJs, and, and now it's, I wouldn't even want to watch it or know what's on <laughs> it at this point. It's become totally, maybe it's just us becoming old fuddy-duddies or something, but it's just, see, it's not what it was, you know? It's just yeah. a whole different other beast. To their credit, though, Sunday mornings, they're showing Ren and Stimpy right now. Are they? Okay, well. Yeah, I was that, very surprised. I love Ren and Stimpy, so that's, <laughs> but it's, it's still, it's just in general, it's very sad, you know? Oh, yeah. And this is kind of uh, the sweet spot of Nickelodeon. I mean, from this era right until, you know, maybe the late 90s. And once Nick- this is all pre-Nicktoons. That was a huge thing for the network when they started uh, yeah. not just showing David the Gnome and Maya the Bee and all these, these you know, cartoons that I couldn't stand. They, you know, they started investing in their own uh, creative talent and their own production studios, their own animation studios. They started creating shows like Doug and Rugrats. Uh, bringing in Ren and Stimpy, and the, they had, uh, as we were talking about, you know, the sketch show ending in 1990, and then not too long after that, they started All That, which, you know, was their own continuation of having a kid's sketch show on the network, and that that launched a couple of careers as well, like Keenan Thompson, who now is on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it's, it, it's this is really the start of the golden age of Nickelodeon. Yeah. So, back to the show here, you know, we just saw Alanis get slimed, and she now hates Alistair, thinking, you know, you you set me up for that. But he tries to explain, you know, he just forgot to tell her that on the show, if you say, I don't know, you get slimed. And, you know, because he just said it, he too got slimed. There's no exceptions to it. You say, I don't know, or water, and you're going to get one of the two on you. Yep. Exactly. And so uh, this sketch ends as Adam suggests that they call themselves the Green Slimes. Yeah. And so we cut to the next sketch. So here we see Adam at a doctor's office going over Adam's uh, symptoms. The doctor mentions that he has a compulsion to scream, to jump up and down, and he bites the heads off of rats. (laughs) 
And so the whole time the camera is positioned behind Adam. So, you know, something's up. Yeah. So the doctor goes on to ask if he watches a lot of rock videos. Then we cut to a shot of Adam's face. We see that he has like very kiss style makeup on. Yeah. yeah, It's it's like a kiss. Yeah. Yeah. How can you tell? And so the doctor hands Adam a large spool of tickets as his prescription and tells him they are t- season tickets to the symphony. And it's, it's, I think this is a recurring thing with this sketch, too, if I remember correctly. That he charged him like $350 for the tickets. <laughs> That's like the doctor always does that. It gives him some kind of, obs- uh, you know, really crazy cure or treatment. And he, you know, charges them seen amount of money for it. <laughs> and I like here where Adam, Adam said that going to the symphony, you know, he'd die of boredom. But the doctor says, no problem, my brother's an undertaker. <laughs> So we cut back to the church once again to see Alistair and Adam in that two-person choir. They are instructed by Les Lies' character to sing the next hymn. They rise, and Adam begins to sing Oh Spider-Man to the tune of Oh Tannenbaum. <laughs> in a very strange voice, too. Oh Spider-Man. Yeah, it was very <laughs> odd. So the instructor uh, walks over to find out what he's singing, and looking into Adam's book of hymns, he finds a Spider-Man comic book inside. Yeah, and I know you tried, Scott, and I tried for the life of me. I cannot find when this issue was from. It's hard no. to see. I have that on Twitter. If anybody can identify of a, a, a really garbagey shot of it, zoomed in, of the cover of this issue of Spider-Man. You know, I really thought, I was looking through, like, oh, the Marvel uh, wiki today of all the Spider-Man issues for, mm-hmm. you know, Amazing Spider-Man and the uh, Web of Spider-Man and the other things. To see if I could, because you got to assume logically that it was probably somewhere in 1986. Yes. They didn't pull a 1967, you know, Spider-Man and, and use that. It was probably something someone, a prop guy got off the shelf. So I was like, okay, what? let's look at all the 86 issues for all those comics. And you probably did the same thing. I did. I spent way too much time trying to find out what issue this was. And you can kind of tell it's a white Spider-Man logo. So you can kind of narrow it down that way. Yeah, it's in the era of barcodes and it was a direct edition. So yeah, that's, there's uh, some, some figures on it. You can kind of see the poses they're in, but I could not find anything that was close within. Like I looked at eighty-five through eighty, you know, six. Obviously, I couldn't see anything familiar to that. The way Spider-Man was written out or anything. So yeah, it's a mystery. I don't know. It's a mystery. If anybody knows which which issue that is, would be interested to find out. Anyway, yeah, yeah it's just a, a side thing that we were racking our brains Obsessing on. Yeah. So the instructor grabs the book from him, saying, You were hiding this from me. I haven't read it yet. He <laughs> so, rolls it up. So that's the joke of that sketch. Which destroys the value of it. Don't do that, kids. No, no. Yeah, don't, don't roll up the comic books, because that's not good. As I always tell people, be good to your comics, and down the line, they will be good to you. That's right. Words to live by. So from here, we cut back to Alistair once again, chained up in Nasty's dungeon, where he told that he will be released for a work project, I believe he says. Yes. And Alistair is overjoyed and really hopes that he gets to make license plates. And Nasty tells him, no, no, it's nothing like that. The guys in the next dungeon have formed a band and they need help. So uh, Alistair, of course, you know, reminding us that this is an 80s episode, says, oh, he could be the next Eddie Van Halen. And he begins to sing some guitar riffs. And Nasty tells him, no, no, it's a Latin band and they need your ribs to play the xylophone. (laughs) So he then opens Adam's shirt and plays a little on his ribs with a xylophone mallet. You get the actual xylophone effect, too. Well, technically, it's not. It's a metallophone, like a glockenspiel, but, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Xylophones are supposed to be wooden, but that's okay. Creative licensing. <laughs> I don't mean a nitpick. Yeah. No, but, uh, so Alistair suggests, well, why don't you use Hodgkin? The, you know, that's the 
the skeleton that we mentioned earlier that's hanging next to him. There's, there's ribs on that guy. Nasty said, oh, we tried him already, and he demonstrates that there's no echo effect on the ribs. And Alistair's like, what echo effect? So Nasty plays a couple more painful notes <laughs> as we cut back to the main stage. Again, we see the payout there that he was excited for a minute, and it was dashed, and he was tortured again. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, back in the early sketches, I think I remember seeing these somewhere, that was actually detention, being in the uh, chained up against in the um, the prison like that. Oh, okay. And the principal is there in, in the dungeon instead of, you know, in the classroom. Doing huh. detention. Okay. So back at the main stage, here we see Christine, Alanis, Stephanie, and Adam completely decked out in green clothing with shaggy green wigs. Uh, this is evidently their Green Slimes band costumes. So Ross comes over to start their rehearsal. He hands Alanis a ukulele as a guitar. Uh, Stephanie a kazoo as the horn player, Adam a miniature piano as the keyboardist, and to Christine the drummer, he hands bongos. Yep. So, kids are all upset. They wanted real instruments, but Ross asked them to give them a try. So, he calls Alistair over and they start to jam. And, of course, it sounds terrible. So, Christine stomps on Alistair's foot and walks away. And I like here, Alistair's, like, screaming once again. The remaining band members attempt to play along as he hops around in pain. It's <laughs> horrific. Blood of child torture in this episode. And we cut to our next sketch. So we open on a scene in the, the living room as the dad character is asleep in an easy chair. We see the mom character is reading a newspaper. And just then, Adam busts through the door, shredding on an electric guitar, and jumping around on all the furniture. Yeah, of course, not attached to an amp. But no, somehow, <laughs> somehow it works. Again, creative license, sir. Yes. So, you know, his mom yells for him to stop, and he apologizes, saying that he was just practicing a musical instrument, like he promised. And she tells him, well, she wanted him to play opera. But he replies, that's what he was playing. It's from the Who's Tommy. <laughs> to which Adam's dad is, you know, oh, he's got a point there. <laughs> and so Adam continues to jam. And that's the end of that sketch. We, we cut now to the brightly colored lockers for the very famous reoccurring locker sketch. This is a, another often remembered sequence of the show where the kids step in and out of lockers telling jokes. Yes. This yeah. is, you know, we mentioned how the uh, a lot of this is very heavily influenced by Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, this is also very heavily influenced by Laugh-In. Yeah, oh yeah, this is pure Laugh-In right here. Yeah, this is, they you know. They used to have the windows or the different things that would open up in the Laugh-In wall. And... Yep. And, uh, you know, they do the whole, hey, Alistair, hey, Adam, you know, and they, they talk and they uh, do the joke and they shut the locker doors and then the ex next group comes out. Yep. And so, yeah, there's there's a, a bunch of quick jokes here. There's a joke about Hickory Dickory Dock being a new wave band. Yeah. <laughs> there's one about Alistair's dad throwing his stereo out the window while the headphones were still on him. Yes. <laughs> of a violent story. <laughs> Uh, there's also, um, they also mentioned in one of the jokes that most of the top rock bands can't read music or read in general. Yes, I, I caught that one. More of just, you know, bashing rock music and musicians. Uh, then there's a, another joke where Alistair says that he has a wide range. He was told that by, you know, someone familiar with music. Adam agrees, yeah, your mom has a large microwave oven. <laughs> it's like the stupidest one. <laughs> what? <laughs> Like who would even, you know, I guess that was the term for microwaves. Maybe it's a Canadian thing, like a range. I mean, I, th I thought of a stove. That's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that applies, but it's not often used. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's weird. 
So from here we cut to our next sketch where we find Adam and Alistair camping in the woods. And they brought along a giant boombox, but because of the price of batteries, they instead brought a 20-foot extension cord. Huge. <laughs> 1986-uh boombox. Yeah. And of course Adam's like, wait, were you an idiot? You can't there's no way you could plug anything in. And conveniently behind them is a rock with a plug in it. <laughs> this sketch makes no sense. It, it's like what? The My joke wife... was yeah, like the joke was like you said, they they found an outlet in the rock. That was the entire joke. It was there the entire time too, as you could see. It wasn't like it was a, a reveal or something. It was always there. They should have put a bush or something in front of it to show that it, you know, they had to look around for it. They didn't even need the 20 feet. It was literally two feet away. Two feet away. And my wife is like, you know, she made the astute observation that the rock was fake. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes, it was. (laughs) uh, Yeah, so the music begins to play and they dance. And it ends with Alistair kind of saying to Adam, did you bring the girls? (laughs) And did you notice 20 feet? It wasn't a metric. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, this was, you know, co-produced for American audiences, so. And that's the thing, too. Around this time... Uh, where, you know, it started to, the enthusiasm started to wane in Canada, but this was just huge in the United States. There's a great documentary called You Can't Do That on Film, uh, where they kind of catch up with uh, all of the cast members. In 2004, I believe that came out. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them were talking about how they get recognized in America. And what, I forget exactly who it was, one of the cast members said, in Canada, people, when you mention the show, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that show. But if you mention it in America, it's like, oh, that was a huge part of my childhood. It's just yeah. amazing, the the disparity there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that it wasn't more popular in, in Canada, you know, or didn't have the same recognition. Yeah, so embraced by American audiences. Oh, definitely. And you get a lot of the, uh, I mean, I heard a lot of uh, boots, especially from Alistair. He has a Canadian accent, which is really funny. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You know, Sorry, it's a, a boots. That's a giveaway. You know, it was very funny. So from here, we cut back to Alistair, again, with El Capitano in front of the firing squad. You wonder what Alistair did to deserve this. You know? <laughs> I, I always picture him coming right out of the dungeon to the firing squad for some reason. <laughs> so for this execution, he mentions that they are going to do something special. They're going to play fanfare along with his shooting. But of course, they keep messing up the timing. So El Capitano steps forward in front of Alistair saying, you know, no, no, you have to wait until I say fire. Of course, he's shot dead. And as he falls, we see Alistair behind him with a conductor's baton saying, you know, right in tune, amigos. And he continues to conduct, I guess, the orchestra that the gunmen are also (laughs) playing instruments in. (laughs) So stupid. Yes. So we next cut to Alanis and Adam walking down a sidewalk together. This is my and second favorite sketch of the... Uh, I love this too, it's so dumb. Adam casually mentions that the house that they are walking by are where the Rolling Stones live. And of course, Alanis jumps at the chance to meet them and get their autographs. So uh, she goes up there and rings the doorbell before Adam can warn her, but it's too late. So the door opens, and of course, Mick Jagger is not standing there. Giant boulders roll out of the doorway onto Adam, crushing him as Alanis screams and runs away. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm going to be laugh for some reason. This is crazy. It's like you said, it's so stupid, but it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, stupid just funny. Just the idea of the Rolling Stones all living together in Canada, too, made me laugh. <laughs> and Alanis is like, oh, Mick Jagger is such a hunk, or whatever she said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they had ever met. They probably did later on, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's pretty funny. 
So we next cut back to the main stage where Alistair and the Green Slimes are all set up for performance. We see that they are in their costumes, they got their instruments and their microphones, they have light rigging, and a banner behind them uh, with the band name. So, unfortunately now, Alistair is a no-show. We learn that Ross painted him green, and he's got skin poisoning. So, <laughs> Ross steps over, and we see that his face is green, and he's prepared to take Alistair's place. So Alistair finally does show up, but he's really sick and he feels like throwing up. And uh, so uh, the two of them are there. And so they, one of them mentions, yeah, it's a choice between the Incredible Hulk and Gumby. <laughs> so this is great. Christine says, yeah, well, throwing up could be a good thing. So she, she suggests that the Green Slimes be a punk band. <laughs> and I like here where she just spits on the stage and yells, <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> So Alistair agrees. He counts down in a British accent. Smoke effects go off, filling the stage, and the band plays and sings, you know, just completely terribly as credits roll. Yep. That's that's where we see the, the end of it. Well, almost the end of our episode. Not quite. It keeps going, yeah. yeah. So we get all the credits, and we, from here we get another You Can't Do That on Television title card, and the announcer says that it's a Name That Tune production, which is kind of like a, a rotating thing. Yeah, the end, end production thing. So we then cut to the announcer, which is really Les Lai imitating Gary Owens from Laugh-In. Directly no, taken, Laugh-In, yep. Taken directly from Laugh-In. He's in the announcer's booth. It, uh, you know, he says that, uh, well, I can name that tune in one note. Way, way off key. <laughs> and what happens at the end is something like he doesn't realize he's still on camera at the end or something. Just kind of gives a look like, oh. Uh, yeah, he, I think he always did that. Kind of like gave that little, like, shake or whatever he does. <laughs> But, of course, we're not done yet. So now we finish with the scene backstage. We, we see Ross and Alistair. They're trying to remove that green paint from their faces. And then Ross breaks it to him that the green paint is never coming off. And he'll look like that for the rest of his life. And so Christine happens to be over there. And she laughs, then apologizes, saying, Well, look on the bright side. Kermit the Frog was green, and he did okay. Yeah, yeah. Also adding that green is Alanis's favorite color. In unison, I like Al- Ross and Alistair say, Will you shut up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so right after that, Alistair takes the coffee that Christina is drinking and dumps it down her shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the episode ends. Trams the cup into her throat. Yeah, it's like, whoa. <laughs> can't, you and can't do that on television. No, you can't do that on television. That's assault, brother, right there. <laughs> and from there, we cut to black. And that is the end of the episode. Yep. So, Sean, what are your thoughts now upon revisiting this series for the podcast? Oh, uh, it was it was such a nice trip down memory lane, and it just <laughs> it made me feel like a you know a ten year old again or an eight year old um, when I first was watching this show. And it, it's such a good show, and it's so funny. I mean, it, yeah, there is that kind of bathroom humor. And there's no educational value to it, but it, it's just every kid should be required to watch it. it should be shown in school <laughs> as a class. So I recommend anybody just, you know, watch a couple episodes on YouTube. Again, they're all on there. You just have to search for them. There's a great website also. That's You Can't Do That on Television. It's actually ycdtotv.com. You cannot do that on television, TV, or television.com. And it has a wonderful description of all the episodes of the cast, the entire cast, an um, FAQ about the show, all sorts of cool stuff. And I guess the only thing I could say is, I, I if anybody from any <laughs> any uh, 
power Nickelodeon or anybody who owns this show. I know it's it'd be impossible, like we're talking about, to get it back on the air or even a, a, a new version of it, a reincarnation of it on the air, but put them on DVD and release them as packs. I mean, you have so many people buying these things on DVD. Oh, yeah. If, even if you do commentary, you know, unfortunately, you know, we still have... The good thing is these kids, when they were, you know, 15 in 1986, they're only in their mid-40s now, late 40s, early 50s. I think Christine is like 52 or something. Yeah, Les so Lye, unfortunately, passed away not he, too long yeah, ago. Yeah, he passed away in 2009, I believe, unfortunately. But everyone else is still around and kicking, as far as we know. So they could do some commentaries. I'm sure it would be awesome. To, but this release all the seasons on DVD and, and do some extra features and commentary and stuff. I'm sure Lance Morissette would probably... Be more than willing to talk about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, you got to think, it it kicked off her career. I mean, you could say that. She, it, maybe not her music career, obviously, but it, it did get her some exposure. Um, oh, yeah. There's a quote from her in the trailer for the documentary uh, where she said people come up to her and say, you know, I weren't you on, you can't do that on television? And she, she says, like, no, I was a boy back then. You know, it's like... <laughs> And she she does. I mean, you know, it's Atlantis, but it's almost a completely different person. But it's very very yes. funny. It's, to it's see not, her as a child like that. It's not Atlantis Morissette of nineteen ninety five. Let's put it that way. It's Atlantis Morissette of when she's a fifteen year old in nineteen eighty six, and she has the boy hairdo, and and um, it is just very funny to see her on there. Hence why we chose this episode to watch today. But yeah. In fact, that was like I said. We said many times before it was the end of almost the end of the era of of the show. But yeah, that's all I could say is just just watch it. And if you've never seen the show before, which I I, I can't really think that anybody um, our age has not seen this at least once or heard of it. Oh, it's parodied on Family Guy. I don't know if people oh, yeah. got the reference, but you know, Robot Chicken, I think, has done some parodies of it. So, you know, it shows up here and there in pop culture, even though people may not now, you know, understand, understand what it's yeah. from. Yeah, and really, you know, Nickelodeon should really be, you know, doing all they can to thank... They should have a statue in front of Nickelodeon headquarters, wherever that is now, of the cast or the the logo or something, because they that that kicked them off. I mean, I, I think it would be hard pressed. Nickelodeon would be a very different network today if it wasn't for that show, because mm. like you said, the slime wouldn't be their motto, and it wouldn't have possibly it might not even be a network anymore if it wasn't for you can't do that on television. I I really do believe that. So they, it's unfortunate that they don't, I guess, cannot, like we talked about, give it as much recognition as they should. But what are you going to do? But thankfully, YouTube exists. We can watch them in all their VHS glory on yep. YouTube. With all of their tracking problems. Yes. Well, that brings it back to the days of yesteryear, too, with <laughs> degrading VHS tapes. <laughs> but I'm, I'm right there with you, Sean. This is just a, a great episode of a great show. I, I love this series. Uh, just from you know five years old, I remember just watching it and you know, loving the idea of of getting slimed. And I actually visited Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando. I, this was in 1992, so the show was off the air. But they would take you around and show you green slime and what it's made out of and how you know it's edible, it's non toxic, and you know yeah. just seeing the green slime fountain, which of course was just green water, but it was just. So great. It made Nickelodeon such a, a magical place, you know, even though, of course, you find out later it was actually shot in Canada. But, yeah. you know, you think of all of it as being part of Nickelodeon and it was just so wonderful and a big part of my childhood. Because, like you said, like we were talking about, there wasn't much on that channel. Mr. Wizard was a big thing in the mornings. 
Uh, you got a lot of syndicated cartoons that weren't that great. Yeah. And then Lassie, Dennis the Menace, I think Bad News Bears, the, the TV show, was another thing I used to watch on Nickelodeon. There wasn't much there until Nicktoons really started picking up in the early 90s. And, you know, from there they started doing their own live action shows, all that, Roundhouse, it's the whole Snick block. Do you remember yeah. Snick? Mm-hmm. Snick. Yeah. And Saturday so, Night Nick, is that what it was? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it, it really picked up from there, but this was a, a huge foundation, a cornerstone of the network. And yeah, and one thing I, I, I forgot we, we should mention too is that unfortunately this episode didn't have any barf uh, sketches. Yeah, that's there's a few that's missing, and barf is one of them. That's one of the most famous ones, too. Yeah, he's a, a gross uh, cook at a diner, and the kids are often, you know, eating something like some gross hamburger that they find something in, and often complaining about the food. And the catchphrase is, you know, he turns to them and says, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. you know. It's, it's like garbage in the food sometimes. You know, <laughs> shoes and all sorts of industrial waste and everything. It's a really interesting sketch. Well, when I came over to your house and we were going through some of the episodes, wasn't there one where there was like skeletal remains in the food he was preparing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hand. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. Can't do it on television now. You can't do that on television. Times have changed. That's And unfortunately, Nickelodeon Studios, if you are saying, oh, I should go visit that in Orlando, it's no longer there. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, it, it is heartbreaking. I remember visiting it myself at Universal Studios in Florida, and they, they pr- produced shows there. I mean, they in the early 90s, they did a lot of filming of some of their, their live-action stuff there, definitely. Yeah. I think Double Dare was there and some other stuff. And Clarissa Explains It All. Yeah, and... Um, I have a, I have a memory because I went there in 1992. I don't know if this, you know, of course I'm going by my childhood memory, so who knows if this is real or not. But I have a distinct memory of of seeing Melissa Joan Hart there and waving to her and her waving back. Very possible. I, <laughs> I saw Mark know, Summers. Though. Did I you? D- I, yeah, on the tour we went of uh, Nickelodeon Studios. Mark Summers was walking up an escalator or something when he waved to the group. Um, I, That's I awesome. definitely know that was true. But the fountain was cool, and the whole thing was cool, and the, the building is physically still there. It's just not Nickelodeon anymore. Yeah. Um, it's the Blue it's Man Group <laughs> at this point. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the last thing I heard is Blue Man Group. Oh, wow. Um, and it's funny because they have a time capsule buried there, too, or they did. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know when else. I think it was supposed to be open in, like, 2030 or 2020 or something, which back in 1992 uh, seemed like a really long ways away. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but um, I'm sure they have copies of you know who knows what in there vhs tapes pumps <laughs> thank you gack. pumps some gack yeah, yeah. british knights british yeah the british knights all off i get british knights yeah <laughs> if you're a child of the 80s or 90s check it out check out you can't do it on television can't recommend it enough yep all right well that'll pretty much do it for this episode of hitting play as always you can email us with your comments suggestions what you don't know whatever you got for us at hitting play show at gmail.com or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Sean, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I have a, um, well, we have a YouTube channel, which actually belongs to Scott, too. <laughs> we do Minecraft playthroughs. Me and my son are doing a, a series right now. It's called Father and Son Survival. The channel itself is called Three Blind Mice. You can search for it. And we have some older stuff that me and Scott did, and Lily um, from Minecraft. Otherwise, I guess I'd like to plug uh, Alanis Morissette's uh, album, Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> uh, she probably still needs to sell a few copies of that, so go out and check it out. It's on iTunes, I'm sure. Very, very nice album. Album, it made my, my 95, uh, honestly. My summer of 95 was all about that. So Well, 96, but okay. Oh, ni- well, whatever. Yeah, ni- <laughs> I-, I can't remember those, you know, 
Well, it's all Blur, 92 <laughs> through 2000-ish. No, Blur was a little later. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out, friends. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Uh, my name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Vine. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. My name there is also MC and Friends, so follow me there. Check out my stuff. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio, and we are also on the Google Play Music app. So please check us out in those formats. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. I heard that. <laughs>